Good evening, folks. Thanks for joining us on Vintage McCoy. Happy Friday. Listen, uh, 158 years ago today, one of the most significant events in American history occurred. And I can't think of a better person to join us because this, this event in American history was so significant that it gives all of us today unbelievable hope that one man turned the tide of a nation. And uh, sharing with us tonight, not only do I have my, my faithful co-pilot, <laughs> David Glinky, but our guest tonight is one of, my favorite of all time. It's Congressman Bob McEwen, and he's going to be sharing about this momentous event in American history. You need to stay tuned. Every person in America should know about what occurred 158 years ago today. So tune in, stay tuned, and here we go. And the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters, and God said, let there be light. Together, we will make America great again. I have never been more hopeful about America. And the people who knock these buildings down will hear all of us soon. The advance of human liberty can only strengthen the cause of world peace. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. But because of the Watergate matter, I shall resign the presidency effective at noon tomorrow. One small step for man. All of be able to sing with new meaning. My country tears of thee. Sweet land of liberty of thee I sing. We shall pay any price, bear any burden, uphold any foe to ensure the survival and the success of liberty. It is indeed we are. The defenders of freedom. With the unbounding determination of our people, we will gain the inevitable triumph. So help us God. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Those who forget the past are destined to repeat. And now, your host, Pastor Rob McCoy. Well, good evening, everybody. Thanks for joining us on Vintage McCoy this Friday. And, and today is the 158th uh, anniversary of an event that occurred uh, on, on July 2nd. Uh, and it is so significant. It, it changed the course. Actually, it protected the United States of America and it involved one man who saved the union. And uh, I know Congressman McEwen, who's our guest tonight, no one can speak better to this than he can. And of course, you know, with me is my co-pilot and dear friend, David Glinky. And I, was, I had the privilege to be at dinner with Bob McEwen and Charlie Kirk when Bob McEwen, just out of, just the conversation began to share in depth historically how significant the battle uh, at Gettysburg, specifically the battle at Little Round Top, what it meant to the United States of America, and not just the battle itself within the battle, but one particular man who ended up be uh, becoming uh, the governor of the state of Maine, the president of Bowdoin College, and was a Congressional Medal of Honor winner. And as you may or may not know, uh, that was Joshua Chamberlain, uh, Joshua Lawrence Chamberlain. And uh, I, I just am so thrilled to have Bob McEwen share these insights. And folks, you really, really need to know, to know this. 
because we're in a day and age where most folks have given up and it's not time to give up. Uh, one person can change the nation and save the nation. And so, Bob, welcome. Uh, b- before we get into Joshua Chamberlain, I, I, I wanted to ask you, uh, being a congressman from Ohio, you knew John Glenn, uh, you knew Neil Armstrong, uh, you, you were friends with them. That, I, I was watching the introduction, and some folks may get tired of the lengthy introduction with the timeline of history. I love it. And if they don't like it, then they can go to another you know, YouTube channel. <laughs> but but I, it, it, there's something in it every time I watch it. And as I saw the, uh, the astronauts, I, I thought, you, you, you were friends with living history. And, and both of those men, I think, have passed. And John Glenn's passed, or is he still living? I know he, he got into his late 90s. Yes, he lived into his 90s. And they, they both have passed within the last two years. There we go. Mm-hmm. But, but you uh, knew him John, John represented Ohio in the Senate. And so uh, naturally, we worked on things together. And he had a Beechcraft Baron that he liked to fly back and forth to Ohio. So sometimes I would co-pilot along with him. And then, and then uh, Neil Armstrong and Janet, his wife, were uh, supporters of mine for quite some time. And uh, I was privileged to represent the area where, where Mr. Patterson uh, had a little restaurant, and, and he put a, a bell on his on his uh, cash register, so he could tell whenever anybody, whenever anybody opened the cash register, all the friends and one of the neighbors that were the Wright brothers, and so they teamed up, and he said we need to make more of those, and so uh, Patterson formed the National Cash Register Company, and he helped uh, finance the Wright brothers, and so the Wright Patterson Air Force Base is uh, there in the district, and so uh, the Americans are the ones that have invented the capacity to not only fly in the air, but to go around the earth as John Glenn did and to land on the moon as Neil Armstrong did. Jeez. And that's that's all from the great state of Ohio. And also, I think, if I'm not mistaken, more presidents have come out of the state of Ohio than any other state. Is that? That's correct. We're, t- we're tied with, with Virginia. But, uh, Virginia started out, they had a running start. They had about four or five in a row. So, but uh, Yeah. Well, I'm, I, I was hoping that, uh, and I still am, that there'll be another president from Ohio, and that'd be you. Uh, but we'll <laughs> see what the Lord has in store. Bob, uh, it's the 158th anniversary uh, of Gettysburg, and you, you and you and I were sitting with Charlie Kirk, and we were in that restaurant in Phoenix, and you began to talk about the significance of Joshua Lawrence Chamberlain. I had known about him. I, I knew the Battle of Little Round Top. I, I I knew that he was a Congressional Medal of Honor winner. I knew that he was a governor of Maine. I knew that he was president of Bowdoin College. I knew that he was a a strong Christian believer, and his brother was as well, and came from a very devout family. But then you began to talk about that moment in American history and the significance of it, how one man saved the Union. Would you share with everybody what you gave to me that I can never forget and I was so blessed by and it inspired me so much? Would you share that with everybody? Because America needs to hear this right now. Well, this is an important weekend. And one of the things that when we celebrate our national birth, is to, we sometimes forget how close it was that America wouldn't have existed. They hadn't had the success of Washington crossing the Delaware, or some of the other things that happened during World War II. But one of them that was very critical was, as you know, the nation started out in which most of the country did not want to have slavery. And the question at the Constitutional Convention in Philadelphia was not whether or not there was going to be slavery. Slavery had existed from time immemorial throughout scripture and for a millennium. The question was whether or not there was going to be a United States. And the founders in 
in Philadelphia wanted to found a nation that would be based on the principle that God made each one and give him rights. And if they had to compromise with slavery for a little bit, they would then eventually stomp it out. And this that's what America America did. And so they, they almost did it a couple of times until finally it came to the point where uh, the Republican Party was formed for the singular purpose of ending slavery. And uh, they elected a president. Once they did that, back in those days, the president was elected now didn't take office until March. And uh, that, that lasted up through the first two terms of Franklin Roosevelt. So that six year, six month period was a long time. And so all during that period, there, there were states that, that once Abraham Lincoln became president and he was dedicated to ending slavery, then a handful of states said, well, we just, we're gonna, we'll save you the trouble. Uh, we're going to leave America, we're going to secede. So they separated from the United States, called themselves the Confederate States of America. And uh, Abraham Lincoln said, nope, you can't do that. Uh, you're not allowed to do that. Uh, we all are in this together. So he sent troops down to Fort Sumter in South South Carolina, and they had the first battle there. And then it, they, the fight got worse and worse and worse. And the people in in the United States, in the North, uh, they they were beginning to tire of the idea. And the question was whether, and, and the Southern soldiers knew that they could, if they could just get a, a victory of some sort, that a lot of those people in the North would just say, let him go. That is, we don't want slavery. We'll never have slavery in the United States of America. But if you Confederates want to have it, then go your way. And so uh, the critical, critical time in which America was on the bubble was uh, in a series of uh, coincidence in which uh, various uh, units came together, over 150,000 soldiers uh, ended up in a place called Gettysburg, Pennsylvania, but the South had decided that uh, Lee had decided that he would carry the fight to the North and he would try to get the Northerners that were anti-war to get them to put a stop to it and, and just uh, everybody freeze in place and the country would be divided in two. So uh, he, he, as he stopped, sought to have that victory on July 3rd, July 4th and July 5th, a three-day battle in which over 50 thousand Americans lost their lives. That's not the wounded, that's the dead, uh, that were killed in just those 72 hours. And uh, the, the North had, had successfully encamped upon Cemetery Ridge, in which they are overlooking the battlefield. And I would encourage any of you to, to go to the cemetery, uh, go to Gettysburg at any time, just to the side here. Uh, that was something that was a real fascination to, to Winston Churchill. When he came to America, he wanted to go to the battlefield. And uh, Dwight Eisenhower bought it, the only home that he that he ever bought. He bought right there on the battlefield because this is the place where America almost disappeared. As the federal soldiers were lined up on Cemetery Ridge and as the uh, field in between where they had pickets charged, where the South had to march across the field, that they, they knew that if they could get around the end of the, of the ridge, that is, if they could get around behind, it's always good to have the high ground, unless you get surrounded. And if you're surrounded on the high ground, that's not a good place to be, as you lose your support, as Masada in, in Israel. And so they explained to fellow, this school teacher, uh, by the name of Joshua Chamberlain, the way you became a colonel in those days was that you signed people up. And so when they asked for volunteers, uh, the first person to come in with the most people with him. They said, all right, fine, you're the colonel, and next will be the major. 
that's uh, the experience that he had becoming, uh, becoming a, a uh, military expert. And so he, he left with nearly a thousand men. And now they were, uh, six months later, they were in Gettysburg. They're now diminished down to 600 men. And uh, they were given the responsibility end of this line there's a little place called little round top and that that's where the battle would take place that is if the south could come around come through him at the little round top and get behind the american soldiers on cemetery ridge they would win the battle if they won the battle at gettysburg it is very much guaranteed believed that uh, that the north would have had to, to sue for peace that the president lincoln was very much concerned that he would lose his political support in order to continue the war that was massively, massively more destructive than, than anybody had ever thought. And so uh, they, they made a run, run at uh, the, the main uh, unit, and uh, they, they wiped out a significant number of it. And then they re regrouped at the South, made a, a, a run again. Uh, that was even, even worse. And then uh, they're preparing for a third charge in which they were being resupported, uh, supported by units from Texas. And, uh, and Joshua Chamberlain said, uh, we're, we're going to prepare. We, we need to, we need to fight. And they said, there's nothing. To fight. Uh, we're well, out there, of there was, there was, yeah, there was no ammunition left. We're out of, out of guns. We're out of ammunition. And so he said, well, uh, let's take it from the dead and the wounded. They said, well, we did that last time. We're out. <laughs> and so they, they stand there and there is a moment. I don't know how long it would take, but it, it had to be less than five minutes. It had to be just a matter. If, if, it, if it was five minutes, that's 300 seconds. But he had to stand there and make a decision. That is, he was what was standing between a Southern victory and the collapse of the Northern line. And it was his responsibility. He had lost uh, half of his troops already, and he had no ammunition. So made a decision. He said, fix bayonets. And everybody looked at him. Said, right, we don't have any guns. We're going to fix bayonets. And so up and down the line, you could hear steel on steel. It slap, slap, slap as they began to fix bayonets. That is, they, they suggested to us, no, we can't do that. That's not an option. That's not an option. We have to prevent this from... And so as, as they prepared heard the rebel yell they said all right you're, you're going to get our rebel yell and he turned to his brother he had two brothers that were in the unit with him and he said to his brother tom he said now watch your brother he said this can be a hard day for for mother and that is that uh they his their family might be wiped out so they they their own northern rebel yell began to charge down the hill over the the broken and dead bodies and a spirit of fear seemed to have entered the, the confederate soldiers and they uh, they stopped, and, and some of them, uh, some of the northern soldiers gathered around them, put them at bay, and 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 asked them, uh, uh, disarmed them. And the uh, story is told that the Chamberlain came by one soldier. He had, he had about twenty of the of the enemy there, and and he said to the he said to Chamberlain, he said, you know, I, I don't have any bullets in my gun. Chamberlain said, well, don't tell them that, because uh, <laughs> from that decision. At that moment, then the following day uh, was Pickett's charge, in which it was a, a wipeout, in which Lee, Lee felt he knew what the moment was. And so he took 
everything that he had and threw everything that he could at the battle. And in the course of it, uh, it was a Northern victory. And that was uh, what turned the tide. And from that, the United States of America continued with this. Had they lost, had they lost that battle, the general consensus is that there would have been two, two Americas, North and South. And that meant that neither one of them could occupy west of the Mississippi. So west of the Mississippi, Mississippi would have probably been a third country, at least, maybe four or five. And, and the North American continent would look more like the Balkans or more like Central Europe than it looks like the United States of America. I had that happen, that meant that there would have been no United States of America, that when the world was at war during the Great War in World War I, in which it drug on for four years, finally one day, the Americans entered the battle. The first battle was May 30th, 1917. May, so you have June, July, August, September, October. On November 11th, they sued for peace, and that was the end of World War One. America brought peace. We thought that, that that would be enough of it, but then we found out 20 years later that they were at it again. And this time, uh, World War II, America came in and brought peace and stability against the what was going to happen. So none of that would have taken place had there not been a victory at Gettysburg. There would not have been a victory at Gettysburg had not one man in a time of crisis made a decision to fight for what he believed was right and God blessed it. So I, I can give you other examples throughout history, but that's one that's abundantly clear that when we look at how dangerous things are at the moment, how frightening it is, and we're about to lose and what has happened and all this is a concern and all. Listen, We've been in bad times before, and I hate to say it, we've been in worse times before. And the yep. people of the last 25 years have lived in America that we had never existed before. That is an America that dominated the world. America didn't do that all during the 1800s, all during the 1900s. Not up until 1945 did America become the premier nation on earth. So this has been, a, and then we had a 40-year a Cold War so it's only been in the last 25 years that America has been the supreme political and military power on the planet. So these young people that come along and they think that, that somehow or another America, has, that they can poke at it and that they can attack it and abuse it and that, uh, that somehow or another it's always going to be here. That's not the case. This is a unique time in history because those people, both at the Revolutionary War, the War of 1812, in which America was, they had, the British took another run at us. And then during the Civil War, in which we lost 600,000 soldiers and which we sacrificed in order to have this country at the pinnacle of the place that you and I begin a program, just listening to those folks that put men on the moon and put, put the global positioning system and the internet and the air conditioner and all these wonderful things that America has blessed the world with. That has now been entrusted to us because those people in our past have sacrificed to make it possible. That's what the American flag stands for. That's what Amen. the pledge stands for. What the Star Spangled Banner stands for. And when people want to spit on our flag or, or put their nose in the ground when they play our, our national anthem, those people are not deserving of the sacrifice that was made on this July 4th, in this time in which America was birthed, in which the entire world knew that now finally, and you can go to, go to Miami and walk up and down the street and ask any of those refugees, that they knew that when when Castro took over in Cuba, when the people take when the uh, the the evil take over in Cambodia under Pol Pot or or in Venezuela, that there's an America that you can always get to. You could just get to America. You knew that you would be safe and free. That 
now been entrusted to us. We don't fully appreciate it or understand that it might never be another place. Daniel Webster said, once free, lost, very seldom gathered again. This this unique time in the history of man that gave us the American Declaration, the American Constitution, that was a unique time for the entire world to be blessed. That has now been left in our laps. We're able to celebrate it and, and have the privilege of being able to carry it forward. Bob, I want to, limited on time, but there's two things I want to address. One, I want you to elaborate on, and I'm going to do my best since we're coming in, and I'm so thrilled that the 4th of July is falling on a Sunday. Yeah. But as I think about, especially David McCulloch's book, 1776, that you you had uh, the siege of Boston, and you had Washington occupying Dorchester Heights, yet they didn't have any cannons. And the minute that the thaw uh, came in the spring, the British would just march up, decimate the Continental forces, and continue to occupy Boston. And it was a a 26-year-old bookseller from Boston by the name of Henry Knox, kind of rotund, heavy set. And he came to Washington and he said, I know how to get us some armament. And he said, how? And he said, it was abandoned at Fort Ticonderoga give me the necessary equipment to haul it over the mountains and across the frozen lakes, and I'll have it here before the thaw come March. And he said, what, what, how can you be a munitions expert? What is your qualifications? And he just basically said, I read a book, uh, a bookseller. And Henry Knox accomplished a great engineering feat. They got all of the armaments from Fort Ticonderoga up on Dorchester Heights, and it was a completely fog-laden evening, except for at the top of Dorchester Heights, it was completely crystal clear with a full moon. They put the, uh, the, the ramparts up. They built all of, uh, of the engineering to, to place this weaponry and then began shelling Boston and had that victory. And the excitement of it ushered them into the summer where they signed this Declaration of Independence, uh, when in the course of human events it becomes necessary and, and then they go on to say, we, we hold these truths to be self-evident. I love the way you say that. Any, that's a Jeffersonian way of saying any idiot can understand this. Uh, life, liberty, pursuit of happiness or virtue. And, and then they pledge their lives, their fortunes, their sacred honor. They invoke God four times in this declaration, committing themselves to, 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 to him and that their, their act was just not for light and transient causes, but they were rebelling against tyranny, which is in conjunction with Romans 13, that you do submit to the authority, but the authority is there for our good. When they cease to do good, they cease to be the authority, as Jonathan Mayhew said. And, and then after they sign that document, they lose battle after battle after battle after battle, end up on, on Manhattan, which is a, 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 a horrific move on Washington's part, uh, statisticians today say, and yet, um, and, and they lose their, their armament. What's left of the Continental Army, they, they cross the East River uh, with their oars wrapped in cloth so as to muzzle the sound. And the winds hold off the British fleet from bombarding the, the remnants of the Continental Army. He makes it up to Fort, uh, to Valley Forge and winters there. And I think a third of the troops were dying of dysentery. Another third had their feet wrapped in burlap sacks because they had no boots. And the conscriptions were going to be up January 1 of 1777, and the war as we know it in this experiment, Liberty, would be over. 
And Washington knows he needs a victory, so he marches 11 miles to, to cross the Delaware to attack Trenton, New Jersey. And, and the, only, the only Continental soldiers that died froze to death in the march. And they said it was like walking through milk because a, 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 a moving as fast as a baby crawls because it was one of the worst snowstorms in, in the eastern seaboard history. And they crossed the Delaware, surprised the Hessians, while most Americans were enjoying a fire and a, a turkey coming into Christmas. Uh, on the 24th of December, 25th of December, uh, they have this battle, ha secure a victory. The French enter the war. We go on to have that victory. And uh, they sign the, the Paris Peace Agreement. Uh, Benjamin Franklin is the only founder that has his signature on all three of the major documents, the Declaration, the Constitution, and the Paris Peace Accord. And, and th that experiment in liberty was almost over had it not been for that victory over the Hessians on Christmas Day. But that began with a guy named Henry Knox and the excitement over that victory and then being willing to pledge your lives, your fortunes, and your sacred honor. And then that it, the entire rest of that year was just a loss after a loss after a loss until the victory, which didn't seem all that significant, but turned the tide of the war. And here we are today, come uh, Sunday, uh, 245 years of, of more freedom than any nation on the face of the earth has ever enjoyed. And I was in an elevator in Florida. The mother was masked and the, two kid, the three kids were masked. The one child was, that was the oldest of the three children was about eight, maybe seven. And they were scooting away from me. I was unmasked. And she's pressing the button. She's very curious. She's, she's talking to her mother. And I look at the little girl and I said, you know that elevator you're touching? And this is all from you, Bob. I said, that elevator that you're playing with, did you know that that was invented by an American? And, and she looked at me, she said, no. And I said, and did you know the air conditioner that we're enjoying in this, this humidity in Florida was invented by an American? And did you know that the airplane was invented by an American? And she turns and she says, mommy, is that true? And she says, honey, I think it is. And I said, sweetie, it is. You live in a wonderful nation and you don't have anything to be afraid of. America is a wonderful country and be proud of it. We've accomplished wonderful things. And that was you. And she smiled and the mother smiled. I could tell by her eyes that she was smiling. And you know, we're being taught to hate our country. We're being taught that we're responsible for all the ills of the world. And I love what, uh, what Dennis Prager said, that America's failures are, are universal, but our successes are unique. And I've always been blessed by that statement. I, mm -hmm. I thought it was profound. And then uh, if you could take us out and share with us um, as you were going through these periods in American history, do you want to elaborate on Francis Scott Key's uh, uh, song that he wrote that, that we sing? Do you know the story that I'm pretty sure you do? Because if I'm not mistaken, I got it from you. Well, it was a, a similar situation in which uh, the last commander to, to the last president to command troops in the field was James Madison. James Madison, by the way, was at the Battle of Trenton, New Jersey that you just referred to, which was the first victory for the United States of America. The first victory. He was wounded. He was wounded, wasn't he? Well, uh, Monroe was wounded. Uh, Monroe was, was 21 years old. He got hit. There were only only five were wounded. No, nobody died except, as you mentioned, those that died on the march. 
And uh, but but uh, 19 year old uh, Alexander Hamilton was aide de camp to Washington. And and then what I like about that story is where Washington said on that night, and you've all heard the story about these are the times that try men sold a summer soldier. Will, will, will leave. And, and the was, sunshine that, patriot in this season will shrink. Yeah. What was written was written by, on December the 23rd. Uh, by Thomas Paine, and when Washington read it, he said, I want that read, read to all of my troops. And so on the 24th, he read it to them, and he said, now we're, we're going to march. And, and as you mentioned, only a third of them could, could, were healthy enough to even, even march. But then Washington said this, and this is the most important thing, and that is that he said, post none but Americans on guard tonight. That everybody, everybody had a birth certificate, and some of them had even uniforms. But being an American is not physical. America, being American, is spiritual. And I can't become Japanese and Chinese, but anybody can become an American because it's what they believe and stand for. And so uh, mm-hmm. James Madison was now the president of the United States. The British uh, had decided that they were going to, uh, they, it was called slavery, <laughs> quite simply, impressment of American soldiers. That is, they would come along and they would steal a ship or the soldiers and because they were the most powerful nation on earth. Now, let, let's just pause for a second. There's only one most powerful nation on earth ever. And it was the Greeks, and it was the Spanish, and it was the French, and it was the British, and now it's the Americans. But when it's, uh, we live in a time in which people are safe, because in America, we don't do nasty things like that. We protect the people on Taiwan, even though it means nothing to us. We, we give 50,000 dead in South Korea so they can be free. Nobody's, no nation in the history of mankind has ever shed blood and treasure for the freedom of another with never asking for anything in return except mm. the United States of America. Mm. So James mm. Madison, yeah. he's preparing, he's the last president to command troops in the field. His wife, the first lady to ever be called the first lady, Dolly is preparing lunch in the East Room. A messenger comes running in and says, by the way, uh, the British are not coming, uh, pardon me, the, the president is not coming to lunch, uh, but the British are. And so uh, they just gotten a picture of the president uh, by Gilbert Stewart. They tore it down off the wall. They ran out the front yard. There was only one thing that they could take. That was a tea set that now is in the green room by John and Abigail Adams that they had left. And they, the British came in. They ate the lunch. They they put the that fall, that evening, they put the city to the torch, as they said. They burned everything in the White House. We have no records uh, in the United States uh, from beyond, from up until that time. And the, all the furniture, everything, all of the documents, we used to, we talk about red tape prior to that time. They tied red bunting around the law. Those were all burned. Everything was taken away. So with that, they then marched uh, up to having destroyed the government of the United States. The government no longer existed. There were two, there were four stone walls four stone walls of the Capitol on Jenkins Hill and the four stone walls of the White House, but everything had been destroyed. So now the government's destroyed. Now it's just a matter of taking out the military. And that's the, uh, the third largest, uh, the fourth largest uh, seaport. And the, the third largest military installation was in, in Baltimore, which is a 40 mile march. And so they began to march up there. They went through upper Marlboro and the Americans, just because they're, they came out to harass these people that were doing that. And uh, of course, they couldn't shoot them all. And so, what they did, they uh, army always need a, they always need a medic. And so they grabbed the doctor, Doctor Bean, and uh, they took him with them, and they marched up to, up to, uh, Baltimore. 
Well, the folks in Upper Marlboro were concerned about that. And so they went down and got a lawyer by the name of Francis Scott Key. He went to see um, James Madison, who was living out in, in Virginia, at a place that now a country club, the same home. And he said, I want to get the doctor to be. Well, you can't do that by yourself. You need a representative. So here's Colonel Skinner. He'll represent the American government. Go see what you're going to come. So they go to Baltimore. They row out to the tonnet. They petition the folks. You know, and they say that they want their doctor back. And while they're doing it, Skinner is going around asking people that have been treated by them. And, and he got all these testimonies from how the Americans had treated favorably the, the British soldiers. And at the end of the day, he dumped all those pages And he said, all right, I don't care. You can have your doctor. I don't, I don't care because tomorrow your country is not going to exist anyway. So you can stand up here and watch it. You're not going in night. We're going to take. And so what they, they did was that uh, at nightfall, they began to, to bombard the city of Baltimore and, and the troops that were there. They had a new thing called a concrete rocket, C-R-E-V-E. After Mr. Concrete, it had a timer on it. And so it was the, the, the goal was to, to land, and then it would explode once it landed. There would be an additional bomb. And so, but the timing wasn't so good, and they'd often go off in midair. And so all night long, they were watching, and, and a, a fellow by, by the name of Armistead, who was the commander whose, grand, whose grandson commanded troops at the Battle of Gettysburg, we talked about a minute ago. So this is a 38-year-old commander, and he had prepared at his own expense gone out and gotten a flag made that would be large enough for everybody to see because he knew that the war was eventually going to come to him. And if he won, America could survive. If he lost, America would be would be finished. And so he had this banner that was two feet stars that were two feet wide. Each each stripe was two feet. Or there were 15 states at the time, so there were 15 stripes. So it was 30 feet high, 42 feet long, and 15 states, and now was ready for the battle. So they ran the ran the flag up at over Fort McHenry, a name for a man who gave his life in protecting the American flag during the Revolutionary War. When the flag fell, he ran over and grabbed it, and then he took a bullet. And that's who McHenry was, for those that didn't put their nose in the ground and see when the flag go by. These people had done it. So the, the great American banner was flown up in the air, and uh, Francis Scott Key, Dr. Bean, Colonel Skinner, Americans, had to stand on the tonnet and watch uh, what was happening. What happened at one o'clock at night, everything went quiet. And they didn't know whether or not the country existed. But we now know what happened. That is that in any military battle, there comes a time the, the Air Force can bomb or the Navy can take the troops. And But there comes a time when you have to put one foot in front of the other. That's what the Army does. It lands and, and moves one foot at a time. And so after bombarding the enemy, one o'clock, they began a ground assault. And as they went through the ground assault to march in through the marshes to, to overtake Baltimore, American men, American men, not soldiers, not sailors, not, not Marines, just God-fearing, freedom-loving Americans had gone out and laid in the weeds in anticipation of, of the ground assault. Now, why did they have to use the rockets all night long anyway? Because those same men, the men, the patriots of Baltimore, Maryland, had sunk 22 of their own ships in the entrance to the harbor. That's why the British couldn't get in to overtake Fort McHenry. So now mm. they, they bombarded it. They think that they weakened it up. Now they're going through the, the land assault. And that's when 
that's when Francis Scott Key begins to be very, very concerned. So he began to write those words. Oh, say, can you see by the dawn's early light, as the dawn is starting to come up, what so proudly we had hailed at the twilight's last gleaming. When the twilight was going down, we were we were glad that the flag was there. Twilight's like, whose broad stripes and bright stars while the ramparts we watched were so gallantly streaming. And the rocket's red glare, the bombs bursting in air, gave proof through the night that our flag was still there. Question, oh say, does that star-spangled banner yet wave or the land of the free and the home of the brave? He doesn't know if his country exists. Well, what we begin to find out when morning comes is that those same Americans that were laying out there in the bush created such a tumult, had done so much damage to the official, to the soldiers that they had to retreat. The flag was still there. The, the surrender was made. The American victory was secure. And the three Americans rode into the Queen Anne Hotel in Baltimore, where he wrote four more verses, the last one being this, thinking about thus here on this 4th of July in 2021, he said, oh, thus be it ever that free men shall stand between their loved homes and the war's desolation. Blessed with victory and peace, may this heaven-rescued land praise the power that has made and preserved us a nation. Then conquer we must, cause it is just. Let this be our motto. In God is our trust. And the star-spangled banner in triumph will wave o'er the land of the free and the home of the brave. So around the globe, <laughs> last 200 people have known if they can get to where that flag is, they see that American flag coming down the road in France during World War II or in Ukraine or wherever, they know that that's where freedom lives. And that's been entrusted to us, the privilege. <laughs> Bob McEwen, I picked the right person for a Flashback Friday to prepare us for the 4th of July, our 245th birthday of this great nation. And no matter how folks may feel, there's no time for apathy or, or inactivity. It's time to defend and to stand and to resolve that this nation, conceived in liberty and dedicated to the proposition that all men are created equal, will not perish from the face of the earth. And... Um, you bless me, you've inspired me, and there, there's, there's power in history. And, and folks who, who've gone before us were just like us, but they, they valued it and they stood for that, and we must do the same. And um, I, my resolve is even greater, and I wanna say thank you. Thank you. David? Thank you so much. There's such uh, inspiration from your knowledge, but it, it's just, it, you learn something every time we talk to you, and we appreciate that. It's just, you know, that this generation, I hope, appreciates people like you and the knowledge that you pass on. They will. They do. It's going to even grow. You're going to be a household name when we're done with you. Yeah. Let me say something on behalf of all the people on our end of the camera that get to listen to you. We have YouTube, and we're grateful for what you do during the time of instability that you give it, you shine a light. And uh, we know we're, we're confident as a result, and we're grateful. Mm. All right. Well, then we're in the Mutual Admiration Society. Um, you can be the president, and I love you. And give, give Liz a big hug. Give your sister-in-law a big hug. Bless you guys. Happy Fourth of July. God bless America. Good night, Bob.
Well, Bob McEwen. Amazing. Amazing man. There's the, I want to show you a picture of Joshua Chamberlain. If we could bring that slide up. There's Joshua Chamberlain. And I also want to show you uh, all what it was depicted in a painting. I think I pulled this up. Uh, this oh, is a little round oh top. Gosh. And uh, they were down to no bullets. They had to fix bayonets. And, you know, he, he, was, uh, he was a Sunday school teacher. He was a, a, a teacher, a school teacher. He, he, and here he is, a Medal of Honor winner. And, and to fix bayonets and to make that decision in, as Bob pointed out, what was it, five minutes? And, and they said, well, take the, the cartridges from the dead. We did that on the last round. Yeah. We got nothing. Yeah. And you can't surrender. We were told to hold this. And, you know, once you've surrendered everything to the Lord, you have nothing to lose. And if I've been told to do this, this nation... And he, he was an unbelievable, staunch abolitionist. He loved the Lord. And he, he wanted slavery abolished. They were fighting for that reason. And we've forgotten so great a history. And now they want to separate our children from us by teaching this 1619 garbage, which yeah. is not, it's revisionist history. It, it's, it's not documented. It's not legitimate. And they want to separate us from this truth. Unbelievable. But folks, this should be for all of us an awakening 4th of July, 245 years. It's time that this nation have a new birth of freedom. And God's going to use all of us as he used Lawrence Chamberlain. And so with that, this blessing goes out to America. And uh, join with me as we read out of number six this blessing to this nation. May the Lord bless you, the United States of America, and keep you. And may the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. And may the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. What a great privilege to be great. a citizen of the greatest nation on the face of the earth and that we would be dedicated to that proposition that all men are created equal and be in inspired and, and resolved that that nation conceived in that capacity would not perish from yeah. the face of the earth. Yep. Amen. Yep. And we hope everybody appreciates their 4th of July extra especially this uh, Sunday because it's going to be a special one since we missed it last year. This yeah. is going to be a great time. Yeah. Well, thank you for joining us tonight. God bless you. Happy 4th of July. Happy birthday, America. Good night, everybody. Hey guys, thanks for watching. For more information, head over to VintageMcCoy.com or follow us on Instagram at The Vintage McCoy. We'll see you there.